Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, with a flick of a switch, we turn night to day and day to night. We can change seasons, actions and states of mind. Light is everywhere. Used endlessly and very much a part of our modern world. But what is it? How do we use it? And how is it changing our environment and our behaviours? A Starfield Sky used to be our evening's entertainment. Now it's Netflix, iPads or even a podcast. When was the last time you looked at the night sky? I'm Marnie Og and this is Dark Sky Conversations, the podcast that brings people and science together to shed light. Joining me today is Nathan Wilson Rennell at Urco Lighting. In fact, I'm actually joining him in his offices and we're speaking with him. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us both here today, me and um, Benny. Um, Walking into the offices today, I'm immediately drawn to the fact that you've got a a posy of yellow flowers and light directed onto it. Let's just start with the philosophy of Urco's lighting and, and, you know, what it is what it what does it mean yeah sure I, I, mm. I, let's start with the story of the flowers sure so mm. um they're yellow chrysanthemums mm-hmm. and they're replaced every week so fresh flowers not not fake flowers i think that's quite ah, important yeah. and they were chosen because of the color yellow representing the sun which is obviously our primal um, source of light and they're available everywhere in the world so mm-hmm. our office in Argentina, for example, or Tokyo has the same flowers. You can get them. And they last quite well. So it's quite economical to have <laughs> good flowers that well, last yes. at least a week. And mm. even sometimes they can, they can last even two weeks. So the yellow flowers is there to represent the fact of the sun and light. Mm-hmm. And that's very important to us because Urco sees itself as a light factory, not as a luminaire factory. Right. And uh, this distinction that we sell light not luminaires, mm-hmm. I think is what sets Urco apart as a brand. Okay. What is a luminaire? So a luminaire is a product that is produced mm-hmm. that to emit light and mm-hmm. to control light. Uh, it could be something as simple as a, you know, a table lamp that you might buy from Ikea. It could be something uh, like a street light that you see on a pole. Mm-hmm. It could be something more sophisticated, maybe in a theatre application or what we're sitting under here at the moment with these downlights okay. above us. So it's not to be confused with the globe itself? or the, No. 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 Or, so technically mm-hmm. the lamp, the globe is a lamp mm-hmm. that uh, creates light mm-hmm. and the luminaire is what you put around the lamp. Mm-hmm. to control the light. So actually we might go down that track because I often get all these questions about you know, all this terminology around light. So if we could nut out a few of those, just re- really quick understanding. So we've talked about luminaires. Um, glare, what's glare? glare? Glare is the element of light that disturbs us. It's not necessarily... Uh, it's a byproduct of either a bad design or a bad product. Mm-hmm. Uh, glare in itself isn't actually needed for seeing. It actually has the opposite effect. It reduces, it reduces. our ability to see. Mm-hmm. And I guess in a way, glare should be avoided. Um, and there's different types of glare. You can, you can have glare that comes directly from a lamp, mm. maybe in a poorly controlled Luminaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be also reflected off a off a, a specular surface like water or computer screen or glass. glass. Mm-hmm. Um, even wet, like a wet road, for example, can provide reflected light, which can be seen as glare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and glare is a 
actually a massive problem and, and from a light pollution point of view glare is one of the things that is often not talked about yes uh, yeah. it's somehow it's just there and we we accept it our brain has the ability to a little bit like a camera it, it, it sees the brightest thing and adjusts the exposure to everything else based on that so we have this ability to somehow live with glare in mm, a way mm. but it is a problem I guess if it, uh, that it mounts things. to a certain level, we it does become a distraction. Well, or but even at, even at a low level, it it either reduces the ability to see something, mm. maybe that's lit to a low level, mm-hmm. or it just takes up uh, energy to constantly uh, filter out right. this, this element of glare. So Human glare, energy, glare is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's mm. it's headaches. It makes for it example. unpleasant. Mm. If you if you're living in a glary environment, uh, you know, after a period of time, you may get a headache because your your uh, your eyes and your brain are constantly dealing with this mm-hmm. with this bright source so it may not be like getting stabbed or something <laughs> no uh, but it's but it has this uh, over long term it has a has a big impact and so you mentioned straight off the bat there light pollution so yep. what is a definition of light pollution <laughs> your definition sure, of light pollution sure yeah. um, well i guess we, we light pollution is a massive issue for society um, whether it's indoors or outdoors. Mm-hmm. And f- from, our, from my point of view, light pollution has three elements. And so there's the, the quantity of light. So light pollution could be... There's the three elements. Let's start with those. So yeah. the quantity, the direction, and the composition of light. They're okay. the three categories that we would say um, when not used correctly create mm-hmm. light pollution. Mm-hmm. So let's look at those individually. So light pollution could just be the fact you have too much light. Yes. If I only need a certain amount of light in order to see something or do something, anything more than that is, a waste. Waste, is a waste mm-hmm. and therefore pollutive. Mm-hmm. Um, also the direction of light. So for example, if I'm wanting to light my glass Mm-hmm. That's on the table. Here, <laughs> There's a beautiful uh, if, glass of water. Yeah. If I want to light my glass here, mm-hmm. uh, but but I'm also lighting the whole room, mm. which I don't need to see, mm. then the direction of light is also mm-hmm. a waste and is therefore pollutive. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I'm lighting uh, a certain material and I want to read all of the colours of that material, mm. and the composition of the light that I'm using to light that material doesn't have that colour, mm-hmm. so therefore I don't see it that can also be considered light pollution or in the other the converse of that Mm. is to to have only one element of light say for example we talk a lot about blue light uh, at the moment in Mm. the nighttime environment can be considered pollution because it's unnatural for us to be under that type of light right at that time of day at that time of the day in the Mm. daytime Mm. blue light's actually quite important Mm. yeah but at nighttime not so Mm -hmm. so light pollution for us is having too much Poor, poorly controlled mm-hmm. or the wrong composition. The wrong. Mm-hmm. And those three things can either be together or they can be separate. And they're different for every application. So what might be considered pollution in a street lighting application is very different to, say, in, a, in an office lighting mm, application. Or a hospital. Or a, or yeah. a hospital. Mm, mm. Um, or perhaps watching you know, a movie or something, or something mm, like that. So. Mm. so it's the right bright light at the right place at the right time, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, mm. it's very important to define what light pollution is because unless you can define it Mm. you actually can't solve it no and so people talk a lot about light pollution and light pollution can be subjective Mm -hmm. so without a definition it's very hard to quantify it Mm. in a way that you can solve it yes yeah so what is urco doing to quote unquote solve it or what 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 
luminaires are you creating? What's the philosophy? What products are you utilising and where are you doing it? I guess trying to address all of those three elements, the quantity, direction and composition. So first of all, the the classic uh, Misevandero line of less is more Mm -hmm. is something we're very fond of. even our corporate identity, which is black, white yes. and grey mm. as our corporate colours, mm. uh, but with the yellow, and flowers, yellow flowers yellow yeah. flowers to mm. represent nature. Um, we would say the best thing you can do about light pollution, first of all, is to use less lights in a room. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. So rather than have, like most living rooms these days, have a, uh, a grid of, say, 20 down lights, mm. don't do that. Mm. So we would look at things, for example, lighting walls, Uh, because the human field of view is directed towards vertical surfaces. Mm -hmm. So we get a lot more bang for our buck, if you like, on lighting walls as opposed to lighting floors. So less is more. So Mm -hmm. first of all, how do I I use the least amount of lights in a room? Mm -hmm. So, for example, here in our meeting room, we have three wall washers lighting the wall. We have three down lights on the table, only one of them used at the moment. Mm -hmm. And then over behind me here, we have another down light lighting the bench over there. Mm-hmm. So we have seven seven luminaires in this room, of which now there's four or five on. Mm-hmm. And it's very pleasant. It's be, very pleasant to Absolutely. See. And, and mm-hmm. you know, another approach could be to say, well, let's have, you know, 15 or 20 mm-hmm. luminaires in this room, mm-hmm. which is straight away um, addressing the quantity issue. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's one thing is less lights and that is based on a philosophy of lighting walls rather than lighting floors for Mm -hmm. for brightness Mm -hmm. and then lighting things you want people to see Mm -hmm. it's based on a philosophy of a guy called Richard Kelly who was a a pioneer of lighting design in the 50s and 60s okay Um, and for the direction of light we talk about reducing glare for example so Mm. shielding the lamp Mm -hmm. and directing light at things we want you to see so that you see that thing rather than the light that creates that that uh, that brightness, mm-hmm. which is very important, um, and then of course working with the spectrum as well. So trying to think about where uh, cooler light makes sense, perhaps mm-hmm. in a daylit environment, um, or whether warm light makes sense, or particular types of colour rendering are important, maybe for artwork mm-hmm. uh, or for lighting green walls or things like that. So trying to correct to choose the correct spectrum mm-hmm. depending on what to the... To create the ambience, the, the atmosphere, but the also... The right effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and nothing more, because anything more is pollutive. Yes, love it. So you and I have had the opportunity to work with Sydney Observatory where yes. we we discuss the opportunity to have a, a, a living demonstration of good lighting. Yep. What were some of the... Um, the the implementation that you or the project what did it involve what did you have to put in there to to make it a good night sky friendly environment I, I guess it's 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 addressing those three issues again mm. um, that we've, we've already talked about mm. uh, so for example working with with warm color temperatures because it was a nighttime environment exterior primarily mm-hmm. it was looking at things like um, reducing the amount of upward light um, how do we get? How do we make that space feel comfortable and welcoming mm. um, without putting lots of poles? The typical approach, maybe, to put floodlights well, in. I think it's really important to note here too that this is a heritage environment. Yeah. So we had a two hundred and sixty year old building that you couldn't just drill holes in wherever you wanted it to, to go. Yes. Um, we have, you know, trust issues. You know, literally the national trust, the heritage, etc., yes. that we had to deal with. So, I, yeah. I look, I mm. think this whole this whole experience has been a metaphor for how it actually is in real life because Mm. you have a project that is existing Mm. 
you have limited um, flexibility on mounting positions, uh, like mounting on facades, as you just mentioned. But you also have the, the people dynamic, which is mm. you have astronomers at one end who want basically no light, and you have venue staff at the other end who want heaps of light for their for their And the occupational health and safety officers. And you have that... the safety issue for the public because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it is a highly, mm-hmm. highly um, frequent... Well, we would get facility. up to 800 people there in a night. Yeah, so um, yeah. You, you have all of these. And so this is this is the, the interesting thing for us is we, we first thought, oh, this is a great way to showcase technology. Mm. In the end, it's become a great way to showcase light pollution as a discussion. Mm-hmm. And so the idea, when we first spoke about how can we have an outdoor showroom in a way, yes. mm-hmm. um, has morphed into becoming a facility to start a dialogue about how do you light spaces for people, for, for architecture, mm-hmm. and, and for the environment in a more sustainable way. And so that, for us now, is the, is the, is the, is the driving force behind this. And we're doing lots of activities around that, mm. workshops and, and project tours and things, and you've been on one of them. Mm. And, it, and it's not like a, um, it's not like the solution's final. It's an, it's a, it's an evolution. So mm. as new technology becomes available, as, as their requirements on the, on the site change, we have an ongoing partnership to be there to support mm. um, from a luminaire point of view, but also from an education point of view to, to I guess, just to expand more on this idea of light pollution yeah. and how we how we solve it the more we talk about it the more we understand it and yeah demystify it, it. yeah break break mm. it down and make it so that average people at home and we talked about this at siding springs that in the end light pollution is a, is a global issue that has to be solved by mums and dads as well as by companies mm. and governments mm. and so we have to have we have to have a narrative that the average everyday person can go, okay, I can actually fix this at home. Mm. And if everybody, if every home in the street fixes it, mm. we'll start to see cities that fix it. And if cities fix it, we'll start to see countries that fix it. Yes. And once the countries fix it, then we, then we have a, a planet that's fixed it. Yeah. And, yeah. and obviously we're not going to solve that in a 30-minute podcast, but <laughs> that's the... We can try. Yeah. For, for, for us, that's the that's the uh, the opportunity that we see yeah. through, the, through the observatories to start getting mums and dads and kids and other people to, to start discussing about how do we have less quantity of light, the proper direction of light, the right composition of light. Mm-hmm. So, and I think um, the, certainly the more I talk about it, the more people get on board with it. And it's not uh, – it, it's actually an easy sell because it's an easy fix. You know, you don't need to have lights on all the time. And, and people it, – it's not a, a difficult problem to solve. It's not like, you know, unpolluting rivers from – chemical spills or any of those yes. sorts of issues it's, yes. it's just a choice really yes. in many ways so we've talked a little bit about the technology i'd like to go back how did we get to here how did we how did we get to having a world that suddenly lit up and became a, a, a light pollution problem and so that's the negative part of it but where will technology take us do you think in the future that we can overcome this because you know we, it, it, yes it's about human choices but are there technologies and, and we talked about sydney observatory having apps that might assist the astronomers in their project so i'd like to sort of just hear your thoughts of where we've come from and where we might go to yeah well, I think um, the important thing is to understand that light, light for us is, a, is an Im- important uh, ingredient in life. Mm. Um, it's very difficult to go camping without a campfire. Um, it, it's, very, it's very awkward to have a birthday cake without candles. So we, we have this affiliation or affiliation with light that's very, very important. Mm. And um, I guess, you know, we're in a situation now where we've gone way beyond the campfire. 
um, possibly too far, some mm. may say. Mm. Um, but we, we, we shouldn't lose the fact that light is a critical element of what we need, uh, whether it's natural light mm. or artificial light, mm -hmm. a daytime, nighttime environment. Mm -hmm. Light is very, very critical for our existence and our development a as a species. The challenge is how do we... And so we're at a situation now where we can light streets, we can light buildings, we can light football fields, we mm -hmm. can light <clears throat> whole suburbs if we choose to. Mm. The question is, is that important? Uh, do we need that? Mm. I mean, cars have headlights. Why do we have to light every street? Yeah. Um, you know, it, the football field is used maybe for three or four hours uh, a week for a game. Does it have to be lit every night? I, I don't know. These are the questions that society mm. now has to deal with. It's gone beyond the campfire. Yeah. It's now a much, a much larger village issue. Yeah. But at the centre is still this requirement for humans to have light. If you take light away... Mm. I was in Scandinavia at Christmas time and I knew what it was like to have very little polar light. Nights is, yeah, is polar nights is such a shift, isn't it? Mm. Um, you take light away and something changes for us. And so we, we, we have to keep that central point that we, we require light. Mm. So that doesn't. So and so, what I think we the problem, require it, but we shouldn't abuse it either. Well, and I think, yeah, I think yeah. it's it's mm. almost to the point now that we have it. We just we just we've forgotten what it was like not to have it in the mm. way that we 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 didn't before. It's a comment that we had before we started recording that we've got so used to having it that we we don't realise that it's not normal. It's not just a normal part of our environment. It's that's it's, right, and it's I, created. Yeah. I think we've forgotten how little light we actually need because mm. we can have an abundance of light now. We have the ability. To light whole areas cheaply too now uh, mm. relatively cheaply mm. yeah uh, so w we've forgotten what it's like to have just a little bit of light mm. you know whether it's starlight um you know maybe moonlight maybe a campfire or some well shielded low level lighting for example mm. we've and i think that's where we have to get back to i think we've it's almost like you know we've had uh, like a buffet experience in a way. You know, you've started with being <laughs> We've really hungry. We've ourselves. <laughs> you've, you've gone nuts on the, bu yeah. on the buffet and, yeah. and you're at yeah. dessert saying, I wish mm. I'd never did that. Mm. And then tomorrow's probably a la carte. You know, I think we, we, have to get, we have to get through that cycle of knowing that, yes, we can do everything. Mm. But we don't what, have to. What do we actually want mm. out of this? Mm. You know, there, there's a safety element for sure. There's a society element for mm. sure. But there's also a visual comfort element, and, and, that, and that requires a little bit more thinking. Mm. It, it can all be done. It can all be solved. Uh, it's not a problem. But we have to have the will and the, and the awareness to do that. I think the awareness is the big thing, and that's, again, with the education that we do with places like Siding Spring Observatory or Dark Sky Events that we run. So touching on uh, Siding Spring Observatory, we were lucky to have the time to get up to Siding Spring Observatory and do a conference riding the light wave of technology in September last year. And you did this fantastic presentation. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, it, honestly, there was a, the, you, the, the first slide, as I remember, was a picture of Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night. Yes. And I've, it's funny because that image I've actually toyed around with in, in talks that I've done. Um, haven't actually done it, but I've always thought that it would be really great to do a, 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 a then and now so that you have the starry night with the Coke symbol and the lights and the, you know, the LED walk lights and, you know, just completely flooded out so that you've got no stars at all. Um, but at that conference, you also talked on the uses of light. And I think there were four, the four main uses for outdoor light. Is that correct? 
Do you want to touch yeah, on those? Yeah, that's mm. right. So mm. um, I'm just trying to remember the slide myself now. But, yeah, so, th- I mean, there's there's one is is obviously for safety. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, a I think, a bit of discussion. Actually, at that conference, there was a bit of discussion about how much increased light actually increases safety or not. Is there yes. an opposite yeah. situation mm. is one thing. Um, there's also for, for tourism. Yeah, like Vivid. Yeah, like Vivid mm. or mm. Uh, White I mean, Nights. C- cities are mm. cities are competing, right? So, uh, the Opera House here, for example, mm. being being lit is very very important. Mm. Um, there's also like ar- like so lighting, I guess lighting architecture too, from that point of view. Historically, historically, or, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but I think one of the last ones I, I talked about there was advertising, mm. um, and I think this comes back to what you were saying before about technology making it possible now to have whole media facades or mm. uh, I know even at the observatory they, they some of the new freeway signs are incredibly bright. The, the, the road, yeah, the, the Carl Expressway that runs directly out the front of it That's is right. set at daylight, setting at night time so you've got these glaringly white, bright lights telling people to go down to Kent Street. And yes. You can hardly read it at times because it's so glary. Literally. Yes, that's mm. right. So mm. there, there's these different categories of why we actually need light and, and advertising was, is, I guess, one of the more recent ones mm. because we, we, we have the possibility to create huge amounts of content via illumination that uh, is incredibly bright. And I think perhaps the standards have to, uh, have to deal with that somehow. So the standard... AS4282, which is about outdoor lighting, mm-hmm. is does that actually include signage, advertising signage, or is it just street lights and things? I, or the, I don't know enough about it to... Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think... Um, I, I, I think there is a well. Uh, that's the obtrusive lighting standard, mm. and so there, there is definitely uh, an element of, uh, you know, um, signage or advertising which would be considered obtrusive. Mm. Perhaps not by definition that it's advertising, but by definition of the amount of light that's arriving in someone's bedroom, bedroom. Or, mm. for example. Mm. Um, and so, so this is becoming a big issue, I think, also for councils as well. To how do they analyse that? Because mm. uh, the, the, the definition of this technology is quite different to uh, a normal light fitting, mm. where it's defined as an output and and uh, you know maybe a, a cut off angle of the yeah. of the luminaire. So uh, it's, it's a different area. Yeah, and particularly with those um, illuminated signs, they often change screens or they have people. You know, you could actually have a movie basically playing. That's right, and that can be very distracting if you're driving along and you you know so yes and who controls that so who, who controls, controls it yeah perhaps the sign is commissioned to meet a certain criteria then the new new contents uploaded which is different mm. uh, so that's that's definitely a, a challenge for and who's analyzing it and who's exactly. who's ra- who's the ranger that goes around and says well that doesn't comply yeah well. that's right yeah, yeah that's right yeah, yeah. so um but none of those areas, none of those four areas. Actually, I'd like to, I'd like to go back to safety because it is the thing that people always say, oh, well, you need light to be safe. Um, and I know there's no, well, as far as I know, there's no definitive research paper that says either way. I guess no one's really wanting to, to do it. But, or to, to be the person that says turn off all your lights and you'll be safer. Um, what sort of suggestions do you have around safety and lighting? So I, I often use the, uh, the story of if you have a choice of reducing the amount of light 
or reducing the amount of glare, mm. always go for glare. Always reduce the glare. Mm-hmm. Because the reduction of glare has the physiological um, advantage of making our eye more efficient. Because if you have glare, your pupil contracts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you see less. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So it's very, very important to reduce. If, if, you, if you could say, you know that if you drive along um, on a country road under moonlight, you can actually see yes. quite well. Mm. As soon as a car comes the other way, mm. there's more light on the surface, mm. but you see less yes. because the glare of the oncoming car has made your eye-brain system less effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the question is often around how many lux we have, whether it's on the vertical... What's a lux? Lux is the amount of light arriving, measured light arriving on a surface, mm-hmm. which you measure with a metre. Okay. Um, so often there's a discussion about how much light or lux level is on a surface, mm-hmm. and that's what the standards use to define things because you can define it. Yes. Um, the standards also talk about removing glare, but it's not defined as such because it's more difficult to define. Mm. Um, but higher lux level with higher glare means worse seeing condition. Mm. So if, if the goal is to have a better viewing condition, either for safety or for performing a task or for just seeing uh, you know, a certain object or something, it's much better to have less glare because then our, our whole visual mm. system is more effective. Mm-hmm. And so this is this we I think is really critical. A discussion about light pollution or viewing conditions in general that doesn't include glare is purely a waste of time. Right. You can have the the most efficient light source. You can have the highest light level, but if you also have the highest amount of glare, the situation is not better. Mm. And, and as I said before, glare is one element that is included in an overall definition of of, uh, of what light pollution is, because glare is not useful, and you can't see glare on a computer screen. So you will never see glare on a render. And this is another challenge that we see often with architects, and we're talking about about lit spaces. The screen does not have the ability to produce enough brightness to create the sensation of glare. Right. So you will never see it in a render. You just experience but it. But you will see it on opening mm-hmm. night, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. there forever. And so we have to we have to understand that uh, you know we we have to understand that to to improve the viewing condition, mm. um, we have to remove or reduce glare, and. Uh, Talking about light pollution again, the goal is to is in the end to have the most uh, the most effective viewing condition for whatever the situation mm, is, mm-hmm. with the least amount of energy mm-hmm. and the least amount of money. Okay, so less light fittings, yeah. less poles, less watts, mm-hmm. yeah, but the best outcome. It doesn't really sound like rocket science, does it? Like I'm sure it no, is. Like, to actually get it right is, but from a general public perspective to for, the, for their role that they can play in it by getting you know using the lights when they need it etc yes. is actually fairly it's easy to sell it's as i said before it, it yeah. is mm-hmm. it is very simple mm. like i said before if you if you can define the problem you can yeah. solve it and the solutions mm. are actually quite simple mm. um, you know the most effective the most effective solution is is, is zero lights. <laughs> but we okay. don't want that. We don't want people living no. in a cave. Well, yeah. sometimes you do. If you're mm. camping, you maybe don't want any yeah. lights. Yeah. But mm. so somewhere between no lights and too many lights is the right answer, depending on on the what you're doing. Mm. And if you can define the situation, you understand when is it too many lights. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. and and that that's that's a critical point. I think less is more is a good a good way to uh, to simply define that. Yeah, great. 
I'm going to take you right back. Well, not right back. But what brought you to play with light? What was your interest? How did you get involved with this whole spectrum? Mm. Uh, I have a funny past. I mean, I, I actually, my, my dream was to fly fly jets in the Air Force. Okay. So my whole education um, was about how do you, what do you need to do to fly jets in the Air Force. So mm-hmm. I did physics and maths and all of those technical okay. things. Mm-hmm. I got very close to, to making the cut in the Air Force at the time. I made the top 20 and they took six. And I wasn't in the top six, so I didn't go. Yeah. Um, and then I looked at my, my marks mm-hmm. and what can I do with all of this, mm-hmm. this stuff that I've studied. <laughs> and engineering was offered to me as a, as a course that needed these things, so I did engineering. Right didn't really know what engineering was yeah um i didn't really care i just wanted a job and wanted to do something with all the effort that i'd put in mm. and as a result of that i ended up in the lighting industry um with it with a manufacturer and was working in r&d for, for light fittings and things like that I, it wasn't it was interesting but mm-hmm. it wasn't really amazing until i met uh i met this german guy um from a company called Erco, mm-hmm. and uh, he, we did a workshop one day on light. And the topic started with he gave us all some butter paper and 6B pencils and said, I want you to draw what you see and draw how you see light falling on these surfaces. And, and from that day, something changed. Light became not a technical thing anymore. It became a more, I don't know, a human... It gave it a human element to me. To me. And so from that point, light became really interesting to me. Mm. It wasn't about, you know, hardware and scientific mm. things that we talk about it was more about how you know how architecture how space exists mm. actually um and so that's how i became that's why i'm still involved because that was a long time ago that was 1996 so what's that 23 years ago or something so yeah um i know i don't look that old but no it's lucky you're on radio 21 yeah, yeah lucky you're on radio. <laughs> so yeah, so that's why for me light is, this is why I'm still doing what I'm doing, because I really enjoy how the interplay of light and space. Mm. Well, again, we were talking before just about how light can make or break an environment. It can it can change someone's mind, it can change something. I mean, talking about um, you being up in polar nights in, mm-hmm. in the Arctic, seasonal adjustment disorder where people become depressed because of the, the lack of natural light etc so yep. there is a real there's a psychology in light there's a history in light you, um, yes definitely it's a basic and human necessity in a it's way. a requirement yeah. i mean mm. if you take the sun away we all die right so um, mm. for, for a range of reasons um, so light is light is critical to life um, for us but it's also critical for architecture so mm. um we do a lot of dis- discussion about this in our workshops with architects and the American Association of the Blind says that 80, 87% of our sense perception comes through sight. Mm. I know we're on radio now, so that must be the other 13, but <laughs> a majority of what how we perceive space is through sight. Mm. And sight is possible because of light. So light is a, is a magical thing. It's invisible until it hits something. Mm. So mm. it travels like between us now. It's travelling through the air. We can't see it until it hits a surface. And that's when the magic happens, mm. if it's planned or a disaster if it's not planned. And so light is absolutely critical. It's the, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the main, main sense that we have as humans. Mm. And light allows you to play with how that sense 
is perceived, or how, what, how, what we perceive in space, whether it's indoor or outdoor, uh, it's absolutely critical. And so how we address this issue of light pollution, how we address it, how we plan light, has a major role to play in how we perceive space indoors mm. and outdoors mm. and if you take it back to the purest sense from a dark sky point of view it allows us to perceive the stars if we don't have any any spill mm. we see the light coming from the stars or you know around the campfire the the magic of having that that, that glow. orange glow mm. um th- these things are all we understand them we, we from when we're born the planet teaches us these things and so we understand in the morning mm. it's warm and it's dim and in the middle of the day it's cool and it's bright and then it's warm and dim again so we understand we, ta- you don't have to go to school that just happens around you where we're taught about it and so light is this incredible medium that we have i would say with. it's it's not it, it's completely innate and and culturally so strong you know i, I would say that this was well, something that the heritage that comes through our genes is is it's the storytelling. It's it it's it's just such a big depth of information that comes from light. Yeah, from, and look, mm, we're spoiled mm, in mm. this part of the world because we have an abundance. Yeah, an and we have four days light. of bad weather, and we think we're going to go crazy. But you know, yeah. countries that have four days of good weather. And <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was yep. quite interesting being in, in Scandinavia at Christmas time and and spending time with the family and stuff, where you have basically no i didn't see a shadow for two weeks because there was no direct sun there was light Mm. um but there was no the sun wasn't below the horizon so i'm walking around going oh my god i haven't seen my shadow for weeks because there's no direct there's no key light from the sun um and and the people in in northern scandinavia have this very i don't know it's interesting they they because i i thought i'd be really i'd be affected by this and and uh i talked to people about it and they say the winter's their time to reflect Mm. And because they can't do a lot of things, the, you know, you may have four hours of, of daylight, um, but not really bright no. daylight. And so you have 20 hours of darkness. And so a lot of people, uh, I mean, it affects some people more than others, but a lot of Northern Europeans see winter as almost like hibernation. Mm. And so they take up a craft or they reflect on their life. Um, they write their books. They write books yeah. they d- and mm. they do all the things mm. that in summer you can't do because you're gorging on daylight. Well, but that's you have the opposite, opposite right? Mm. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, and it's, I contrasted that to our lifestyle here in Australia where the weather doesn't impact us that much. Mm. I mean, you can play golf all year round. You can surf all year round. Um, you know, you, you may be... I mean, we, we have weather apps, but we don't really look at them. Like in Europe, they're on weather apps all the time, so... Saturday it's going to rain, so I can't do this. I mean, I'm, I look at my weather app and I say, Saturday it's going to rain, yeah, but for half an hour. Yeah. I'm still going to do what I was mm. going to do. It doesn't impact So you. the weather mm. doesn't impact, impact us, mm. and daylight doesn't impact us that much because we have so much of it. And we basically have 12 hours of light almost all year round. You know, yes. we, 12 hours of night, 12 hours of daylight, yeah. Yeah, which is very orderly really yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so mm. going back to your point before it is definitely cultural so people that live in the upper latitudes have a very different existence mm. and it's because of light right so mm. there's a natural light that affects how they how mm. they behave but their artificial lighting is different as well so you know every every little house has lots of table lamps you don't see a lot of no big fluorescence like we have here uh, or grids of down lights everywhere so a lot of task lighting it's very subdued it's very intimate I love the fact uh, in Norway anyway that they have on most of their doorstops 
great big candles or little fires, you know, to welcome you into their houses. And it's just such, it starts right there that, yes. you know, you, you feel welcome as you yeah. walk in. Yeah, and it's interesting because we had Christmas in Norway and I've never had a white Christmas before. And you realise that, you know, growing up as a child, and, and I've got children so you read Christmas books, but all of the, all of the Christmas books are about the European experience. Yes. So they're all mm. snow, it's Santa, it's reindeer, it's 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 candles in windows, and you just you, you just go, oh yeah, that's how it is. Mm. But then when you go there and you see it, you walk down it the really street, is, and yeah. it is exactly mm. like that. Mm. It's quite magical. So we we do have a very different. Experience. But you also understand because I've I've done a, a Scandinavian Christmas as well, and I same thing. I really truly understood what Christmas meant, but you also appreciated how. Um, significant the joy was of seeing things like Christmas lights or candles in the window or decorations and things sparkling with different reflective surfaces mm. because it was such a contrast to the blackness that was outside and the, yes. the extreme and, and again that goes back to the psychology for me of light of how it can really change your mood and create the atmosphere that you want you know if it's building up an atmosphere of a concert hall or a, you know, it's, yeah. yeah exactly and one of the things that I noticed that, that I quite liked was in Scandinavia there's very little coloured light Mm. For the for the Christmas lights, it's basically all incandescent, mm. so warm candle light, colour, mm. mm. um, which, which is fantastic. And you contrast that to Australia, where you know even in my street we have Christmas lights, <laughs> blue, it's, purple, it's green, green. It's bang, bang. <laughs> it's, it's, and so it's it's like a, it's because they're competing mm. with the daylight, right? Because it doesn't get dark until probably eight thirty, nine mm. o'clock. So you may only have an hour or so to to appreciate it. Whereas you know if it's dark at at 2.30 or 3 o'clock, mm. you've got six hours. You're walking home in that. Yeah. And so it's all around you. So it's very tasteful. It's elegant. It's very nice. It was a nice to see the in the darkness the, the people's living room lights becoming almost a show as you walk down the yeah. street, which was quite nice. Yeah. So I have two more questions for you. The first is related, seeing we are dark sky conversations. Yes. What is your most vivid memory of being perhaps under a night sky or being in a dark environment outdoors somewhere what's everyone's got one I, th I think seeing the milky way vividly for the first time and was, where was that it was down the south coast so i was on a i was on a surf trip and we were camping in the middle of nowhere pretty much and so it was a true dark uh not only a dark sky but a dark environment like even mm. around us there was nothing mm. uh there wasn't the the cool white fluorescent at the toilet block in the campsite you know, none <laughs> of, it, was, it was none of that yeah and the vividness of of this of the of the milky way it almost felt like it was falling on you it was that it felt really close yeah that was that was quite remarkable if you were to be able to get in the ear of a decision maker what do you want them to know about light pollution that it's easy to fix. And, and to, just to ask the question, what needs to be lit here and why? Mm -hmm. and, and, and to define what it is that we're trying to do and, and to understand why. And then, and then you can say, well, do I need that light fitting there? We often talk about um, when we're doing a project with an architect or a lighting designer, we often say to them, can we do it with less? Mm. We've got nine at the moment in this room. Can we, can we do it with eight? Do what we really a, need that one there? What a great question. And so that mm. would be something I would like um, all people to, even at home, mm. do I need nine lights in my lounge room? Can I get away with eight or seven? Mm. Or um, do, I, do I need to light this? Do I need to light that part 
of the floor, for example. Mm. Yeah. So if 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 the hero is the Christmas tree. Let the Christmas tree be the hero and don't light the floor around it, yeah? Well, that goes back to where we started. You walk in the door here and there's a beautiful bunch of yellow chrysanthemums and they're the only thing lit on the table. Yeah. And it captures your imagination as you walk in the door. Yeah. Mm. Less is more. Perfect. On that note, we'll end. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon, Nathan. It's been a delight. Thank you. Thanks, Marnie. Thank you. So that's us for today and our conversations about dark skies. Uh, if you have any questions, we'd love to hear them and you can send those into podcast at darkskytraveller.com.au. If you have any questions about Erco Lighting, you can also go and have a look at their website at erco.com.au. Uh, no, just.com. There we go. And uh, anyway, whilst you're online, please jump on board and take the time to rate this podcast and subscribe. Tell all your friends. Thanks again, and that's me for today. Lights out. <laughs>